Welcome to the Gateways Beyond International Podcast, featuring inspirational teaching from our ministry bases in the nations. For more information, please visit us online at gatewaysbeyond.org. Well, I want to share this morning from uh, out of a story that's been stirring in my heart for the last four years. It's been you know, on a slow simmer. Uh, because four years ago when we were in, in Cyprus, I had, a, I had a, an encounter with the Lord. It was a, and I had what I would call, call now a visitation. It was 10 nights in a row I felt the presence of God in the middle of the night in my room. And it took me several nights to understand that I'm having a visitation with the Lord. Isn't it amazing that he's faithful, that he doesn't, because we don't recognize him, he doesn't go away. He just keeps faithfully coming to us until we get it. Um, so, and by the end of the time, by the end, by closer to the eighth and ninth night, I knew there was a person, I don't know if it was an angel or Jesus himself or Holy Spirit manifesting, whatever. I don't, I don't know, but I knew there was a person out and, but there was no dialogue or language. I didn't ask him anything looking back. Maybe I should have asked him all the questions I wanted answered. Uh, but I didn't. Uh, and then thankfully a few, uh, a week or so later, I began to have dreams where he began to speak to me. I had over a period of a month and a half, I had 10 dreams back to back. And all of them were directional, uh, uh, speaking about us coming back here to Harrisburg and Life Center. And, and so that was, that was how we, that was a catalyst, how we began to redirect our lives back uh, to America. And at that time, when these dreams came to me, it, was, it came in the, in the season where we were really fulfilled in Cyprus as a missional community, as a family, and as a community. God, we were thriving in what God had handed us to steward. We were seeing seasonally, we were seeing miracles, some of the most amazing miracles that we got to participate in. And then traveling as a missional family, worship and prayer every morning, an amazing culinary community in every way. You know, our children were, had, had Sunday school every day and you know, it was an amazing experience. And, in the, and we had vision for new things, new regions and new countries. Sarah and I were taking staff trips to explore what is the next thing God has for us. In the midst of this, what we felt was like our, our kind of like an amazing season, God begins to redirect and bring us back through dreams. So since being back here, I've been, I've been pondering dreams in the Bible. And I highlighted two, Joseph and Jacob. You know, and we know Joseph's story. Uh, how he began to engage with his dreams. Now that story, as I'm reading, it doesn't come with any direction. There's no like guidelines or cheat sheet. I read it, I'm like, and I'm confused. Even to this day, I'm like, so is that how you're supposed to do it? Or is that how you're not supposed to do it? You know, it doesn't stay, don't do this. And then, the, it, you know, Joseph's dream story is there. It's, it's just a story. You have to dream and I mean, you have to read it and then figure out for yourselves. So you can help me if you know if we should do it or not. And then I began to focus on Jacob's dream. And, and then I, you know, want to know the context. And I began to read back, you know, uh, the pretext to all of these stories. And it begins, of course, with Abraham. So the, the, that's where I want to share this morning the story of Abraham and what happened as a result um, of God's, Abraham's encounter with God. And he begins as an as an as a, as a man of great wealth and affluence in the city of Ur. And if you put, that, put the map on the screen, this city, uh, the, 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 the blue dotted line was the journey, the physical journey that Abraham took in following God. So the next slide, 
will show highlight where Ur is. It's in the bottom right in the green, in the yellow square. That's where he lived, and that's where he was when God first spoke to him. It said, and God said, "Get up from your father's house, from your country, and go to a place I will show you." You know, Abraham being a businessman, that's not a great proposition. If it's just go, you know, we read in Hebrews that he. God led him to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't have a blue, actual blueprint. Now, being successful in business and a ruler, he was a, success, he was a successful uh, ruler with, 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 uh, with an army and everything like that, you know. And you would kind of gauge, you know, the, 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 the risks and rewards of any, in any transaction, you know, to be successful in business, you have to gauge what is, is this worth taking this risk? And he was settled, he was successful at the prime of his life. And God speaks to him and says, leave everything, your father's house, everything, and leave and go to a place that I will show you. Something in the promise that God spoke to him was far greater than the success and the comfortable nature in which he was living. That he got up, uprooted everything that he's known and began to follow the Lord. And as I speak this, I want to prophetically speak over our community, but I also want to encourage us to find your place in this story because this is where uh, the the storyline of faith begins with, with Abraham and how he responded to the Lord. And so he traveled, if you put this uh, map back up, he traveled from Ur in the bottom right all the way up to Haran, and he lived there for some time, and there is where his, his father passed away. And from there, he began traveling south to Canaan. And then later on, we, we know that he, from Canaan, he went to Egypt and came back. And we'll, we'll touch on that shortly. And the red spot there, that's where kind of the centrality of where, where I'm going to be talking is centered around that, that, that geographic region. And I also highlighted Cyprus in the, in the Mediterranean. That's where we lived. <laughs> Not back then, recently, we, we were there. Um, I love getting my, uh, myself into the story. That's how we are in the story. <clears throat> so he speaks to a- Abraham. Abram, but we'll just say Abraham for now. Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to the land I will show you. And then he, then he, then he gives him the promise. We were singing that about the promises of God. And he speaks this to him in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's an amazing promise, right? I'm going to read it again and I want to ask for your participation because there's a certain emphasis in this promise and the emphasis is Abraham himself as an individual man. So I'm going to read it again. Can you join with me wherever you see you or your, can you say that out with me to emphasize that word, the focal, the focal point of this promise? Are we ready? I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Hallelujah. Wow, what kind of a promise is this? I don't know how this is going to play out, but can you imagine what Abraham is thinking? Me? Me again? Oh, me again? In me? Wow, this is amazing. Wow, how is this going to happen? I can't tell you how it's going to happen. You're going to have to follow me and find out. 
But the focal point in the mercy and in the goodness and the kindness of God, the promises of God often come to us in such an intimate way. He comes right into our living room, sits on the couch with us, and he begins to speak to us man to man, you know, into our lives in such a sweet, merciful way. To you, to you, to you, to you. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Wow, I'll follow you. Take me wherever you want to go. This sounds amazing. Me? You've chosen me. This is amazing. So this is how the promises first came to Abraham. It was individual. It was singular. God speaking his voice and his promise to one man. And so he uprooted everything that he's known and begins to travel, went to Haran. And then he travels on and comes to Shechem, which is the first place. You'll hear this word over and over and over. This is a significant place. It's just north of Jerusalem. And many critical, crucial things happen in this region of Shechem where Bethel and Ai and other other small towns are surround this region. And when he comes to Shechem, when he enters Canaan, the, the, the promised region, the word of the Lord comes back to Abraham. This time, it sounds completely different. This time, here's what it says. And it's very short. Before the, the text, we read it together in you repeatedly over and over and over and over and over again, highlighting, no, I'm really serious. This is about you. But as he follows God in faith and begins to come into a certain geographic fulfillment of this promise, the word of the Lord comes to him a second time. And this time, this is all it says to your descendants, I will give this land. You see, the language completely changed in how the promise is now coming to Abraham. First, it was just for him. Singularly, you know, isolating him and, and focusing on Abraham as a, single, as a single man. And now it's coming to him again. It says, now to your descendants, I will give this land. When he spoke the personal promise, it was his personal responsibility to get up and walk and follow the Lord. You know, he, he didn't have to do anything else. It's mine. This is how I'm going to follow God radically wherever he takes me. Now, this journey that you saw, I did a little bit, of, little bit of research. From Ur all the way to Canaan and then to Egypt and back is roughly, at least to Canaan, is roughly 2,200 miles on camel. If anyone has ridden horses before, any horse riders, I know you guys ride horses. It's not easy. For that long. You see, God is still speaking to us in our time. God is still leading us through the journey of our own life. In this context, for us as a church, Charles and Anne have been sharing over the last two years that we've been back. I know they've been sharing even before that. But the story, their story of when God first spoke to them. The story of when God revealed in part the plan. And they obeyed God and made the travel by U-Haul from California all the way to Mechanicsburg. Now, I would, I would say U-Haul today will be a close comparison to camel travel. <laughs> they were in the U-Haul taking turns, right? And you were in because they couldn't fit everyone up front. They made a bed or a couch or something in the back. And that's modern day camel travel right there. And I was like, I wonder, and just to give you context, I wasn't thinking about them. Just to give you context, I was like, because we, we don't know how far that is, even 2,400 miles. I didn't know what, what that would be for us. I did from Life Center, 2,400 miles, and it, it reaches California. Come on. 
We have the context here today of an Abrahamic story that is still unfolding. And we are now coming under that blessing of a singular journey of Charles and Anne in this time in our day. Come on. Come on. Thank you, Lord. So when God speaks to Abraham a second time and he says to your, this is all he says, to your descendants. Now I already established that it is for you and you faithfully followed me. And in Hebrews it says he believed God and it was accounted to him for faithful, you know, to faith. And then this time when he says now to your descendants, I will give this land. You know what Abraham does? He now responds to the Lord by saying, by setting up, by building an altar unto the Lord. He realizes, wow, God, it's not just me. You're using me to do something through generations after me. This is way more than I can imagine. I don't know how this is all going to work out. I, you know, I don't, I don't have any children. I don't know what you're doing here. Maybe you made a mistake. But he does know that it's beyond him. He can understand if God is going to use him to do something amazing. But when God is speaking to your descendants now, he's activating the supernatural because he doesn't have children to fulfill the plan and promise. And he says, God, this has to be supernatural. This is my altar that I'm building according to this word that will go through generations after me. And it says he built an altar unto the Lord. It was an altar of worshiping God. Thank you, Lord. You are amazing. Your works are far beyond our comprehension, far beyond what we can, we can understand. But I will follow and I will trust all the days of my life. He was an altar that, that, that encouraged him to worship the Lord for what he was doing in his life at that time. And after he built this altar unto the Lord, it says now... After building the altar, he went up a mountain that was nearby between Bethel and Ai, a mountain that was right in between, and he built another altar there, and he called upon the name of the Lord. The first altar was unto the Lord. It was an, it was an, it was an altar of worship and adoration. God, you're so amazing. Then he came under this responsibility of the promise and the word that was spoken to him. He understood, I can't just worship the Lord here. I have to engage with this to see this come to pass. So the next thing, the next verse, he goes up on a mountain and he sets up another altar. And on this altar was not just worshiping God. He called on the name of God. It was an intercessory place. Now, why did he go from, why didn't he just build a second altar right there? And call on the name of the Lord and engage in the promises. Because the promise that was coming to him now, he was highlighting this land I will give to you. When you stand, when you were at the place that he was standing, he was not even physically able to see what God is speaking. God is, can see everything. If it's literally from above the clouds or from heaven, he's looking down. You know, so he's thinking, man, I can't even physically see what you're talking about. I'm going to go up this mountain. So what happens when you go up a mountain? What happens to your geography when you go up a mountain? It's a trick question. Your geography remains the same. I think one, you said it remains the same. The geography, nothing changes. The land doesn't change. The mountains don't change. Nothing changes except for our perspective when we go up the mountain. And the higher we go, the more we are able to see and engage in the thing that God is speaking to us. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for the multi-story prayer tower here. In Jesus' name.
We thank you for a greater influence through intercession in this house. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So he goes up on this mountain. Now he is seeing the very promise, seeing the very thing that God is speaking. And he begins to call, God, I call on you. In Jesus' name. That's my prayer. I'm using myself in Abraham's place. Fulfill what you have spoken to me for me and my descendants that you will give this land to us. And it is an amazing encounter, amazing time of intercession, engaging in the responsibility of the promise that God has spoken to him. And the next verse, as we read on, it says, and there was famine in the land. He should have seen it coming. This was way too good to be true. Too easy to be true. God called him, amazing promise for the whole earth, and then for his descendants, and then he's having encounters with his altars, and he should have seen it coming. There's, this is too good to be true. It's too easy. It says there was famine in the land. And because he had begun to engage in the responsibility of fulfilling the word, he says, now, there's famine here. You've spoken about this land, but there's famine here. So perhaps it's somewhere else. You see, he came from Ur, where it was the most affluent city of that time. There were two rivers, Tigris and Euphrates, in between which the Mesopotamian civilization was built. Mesopotamia means between two rivers. And that's where he came from, the most affluent city, the most affluent experience. And even he was wealthy. He knew what it, what it meant to walk in the fullness for normal life. So as he's engaging now with the promise... But then he sees there's famine. He says, surely this, maybe, maybe there's a better application for this word than this right now. So he says, the closest place that I feel that can fulfill what God is speaking to me, who came from earth, which is affluent, is Egypt. So surely I can use my experience or from here and go find the fulfillment of God's word in Egypt. So he begins, he leaves this altar and goes to Egypt to find the fulfillment of God's word. As soon as he enters Egypt, we know this story. This is one of the most, there are many ridiculous stories in the Bible. This is one of them. He enters with his wife and he realizes, man, my wife is beautiful. If they think they may want my wife and if they want her and if they realize I'm the husband, they'll kill me so they can have her. So I'll tell them she's my sister. Weird. Who thinks like that? It happened again, and it happens later to his son as well. Lord, help us. (laughs) So he goes to Egypt, and we know the story. The Pharaoh finds out about his scheme, and he says, you're going to get me in trouble. What is going on? Get out of here. And he kicks him out of Egypt. What he tried to fulfill in his strength, what he tried to fulfill because of his strength from Ur being successful, what he tried to fulfill now in the word that God is speaking, trying to fulfill it in Egypt, failed, miserably failed. Can you imagine his reputation in Egypt? Oh, Abraham, that guy, is that crazy? This is the craziest guy. We don't even have people like that here. And he returns from Egypt, but he takes the same route and he, he travels from Egypt back all the way to that mountaintop between Bethel and Ai, where he had set up his altar to the Lord. And it says he called, he came back to that altar and continued to call on the name of the Lord. Come on. 
No matter what we try to do in our lives in well-meaning intentions in our heart for God, sometimes they're a miserable failure. I've been there. I've learned lessons along the journey of my life. Have you learned any lessons through failure? It's a hard lesson, but it's a good one to learn. But the mercy of God is always available because the altars of our encounter with God are always alive for us to come back to and have confidence in. Thank you, Lord. This time when he comes back, he sets up a new altar in between the oaks of Mamre. Now he's surrounding himself with the mighty oaks all around him. Now as he returns, you would think, hey, he's returning. He failed. He returned. So maybe he has come down the ladder a little bit in the promises. So maybe now it's not to his descendants. Maybe it's like, you know, downgraded a little bit. It's like going from first class to economy. Bath, I call it bathroom economy because like, you don't know if you're in your seat or in the bathroom. It's pretty much the same back there. And you think when you come back from a failure, you would think it was degraded. But no, the altar now is set up with greater intentionality, with greater strength, surrounded by the oaks of Mamre that speak of the strength of God to accomplish his plans and his purposes in and through our lives, regardless of visible natural famine all around. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Woo! God, I thank you for every story here in our journey, in our, in our walk with you. No matter what points we have, all of us have points in our lives where we, those have become altars. You know, we, in the New Testament, you don't hear of, of alt, building stone altars in this way because now we have become the living stones. We have become the very, old, I beseech you by the tender mercies of God to present your lives as acceptable. We become the altar and the sacrifice all together. Come on. We are the temple. We are the dwelling place of God here on the earth. Thank you, Lord. And when our, when these altars, when these temples begin to encounter him, those are in our storyline altars where the flame of God and the story of God and the testimony of God and the goodness of God is still burning bright for generations to come and still hear and know of the, the goodness of God in your life. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you're contending for breakthrough right now. Today, our altars can take so many different expressions. So we were in, in Ireland just a few weeks ago for our ministry's annual convergence. And the first day we had coffee time, you know, mingling and meeting, kind of connecting, reconnecting with everybody. And one of our students, she's a recent graduate of our school from Cyprus. I saw her and I noticed a tattoo on her arm. I said, Katie, was that a new tattoo? She said, yeah. I said, it's very unique. It really caught my attention. So I took a picture of it. Could you put up the picture of Katie? I'll introduce Katie to you. There's Katie, and that's her tattoo, and there were, you know, numbers and a mountain, and, and as I took a look closer, I saw that they were coordinates. They were geographic coordinates. Put up the next slide. They were geographic coordinates of a specific location. Now, if you use coordinates like this on a map, it is specific to the square foot. Cubic, cubic square, square, yeah. Square footage, area. And I said, I kind of had a sense of what this would be. Put up the next slide, the next picture. 
I put it in, I, didn't, I put it on my phone and I was asking her, so what is, what are these numbers? What does the numbers correspond to as far as geographic location? You can put up the next slide. Put up the next slide of the, the map. Do you have it? You don't. Okay, so I asked her while they're getting up there. I asked her, what is this? As I'm looking it, looking it up on my phone, I said, what is this location? And she says, this location is our worship room in Cyprus where the Lord over the last two years transformed my life. And she tattooed that location on her arm to remind her that God encountered her. That's a modern day altar. Come on. I'm not saying you should all get tattoos on your arm or anything like that. I'm just talking about it, what I witnessed. That's power. It moved me so much. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We all have altars that are, that are, they will have moments when God has spoken to us. It could be years ago. Those altars are still alive and have purpose. Thank you, Lord. It's so specific. In, in God, he has a, maybe a register. Maybe he's tattooed all over. I don't know. Specific locations, geography, time and place in your life where you encounter God. It is important to God. Those things are still speaking on our behalf. Thank you, Lord. Their t-shirts are like that. I've, I've seen a few of them. And the story goes on from Abraham. When it comes to Isaac, we know that whole story. And when it, when it comes to Isaac, he has to present Isaac on the altar, not just build an altar. Now he's taking his very promise that God had spoken and putting it on the altar. These are the, the birth pangs of what is yet to come to be fulfilled in us that we become that sacrifice to the Lord through our lives, laid down before him. Thank you, God. And that, at that moment, it wasn't Isaac on the altar. It was Abraham putting himself on the altar before the God. This is, I don't know how else to follow you, but wholeheartedly. I will give you the very promises, the very fulfillment of your promise. I'm willing to give it back to you. This does not make sense. Do you know how much confirmation we would need if God spoke to us to do that with our son or daughter or anything in our lives, which he gave to us in the first place? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The story goes on as it comes through Abraham to Isaac. Now it comes into the life of Jacob. And Jacob, he has a unique story as well. The contention with his brother with his brother Esau for the inheritance. And he cheated his way to get the blessing of his father. He made his brother angry. His brother said, I will kill this guy because he stole my inheritance. And the mom is trying to help a very Jewish mother. She's like, okay, now I don't want to have to bury all of you at the same time. So you take whatever you can and run. Don't stop. Keep running until you're far away so your brother can find you. And so Jacob, this is the actual story. <laughs> Jacob gets everything he can, begins to journey on. He's headed towards Haran. He travels on. And he comes to the same place, the same geography of Shechem near Bethel and Ai. And he comes to that place. He's tired from running. The account now in Jacob's life is that now he's running away. This is not a, an amazing story. This is not like 
Abraham's journey was fueled by the word of God going before him. Jacob's story was exactly the opposite. There was no word before him. There's nothing before him, but, uh, but his brother is running after him to kill him. Circumstances are completely different. But because Jacob had aligned his life through natural inheritance, he fought and cheated even. I don't know how that fits. He doesn't, you know. But because he contended to be aligned to the promise of God, even though he was running away from danger, running away from his brother who was trying to kill him, no promise ahead, no amazing things ahead. He lays, he gets tired along the way. He's given it all and he has to sleep. He takes a pillow, he takes a stone and lays it under his head and lies on the ground. And that night he has a dream. And in the dream... There's a ladder that's set up from the, from the earth. One end touches the earth and the other end touches heaven. And God begins to speak to him. He recounts the promise that he spoke to Abraham. He says, behold, the Lord stood above the ladder. He says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. God is not giving him a new promise. He's reawakening the promise that came to Abraham at first. As we are part of this church community, we're not happenstance, we're not casual, we're not random. God in his, in his infinite mercy has now in our account, in our storytelling, has aligned our lives to a journey of faith and sacrifice in Charles and Anne coming from California all the way to Mechanicsburg and Harrisburg. Thank you, Lord. And we get to, like their descendants, we get to inherit the promises that God has spoken to them. We get to walk in great, even greater fulfillment, to see the greater things happen. Some things we don't even know, but we are aligning ourselves in the right way. You're here, not casually. It's by the, by the hand, the orchestration of the mighty hand of God. Thank you, Lord. Even if it's a difficult season, you're here on purpose. Even if you're running away from another situation, you're here on purpose. Maybe the Lord spoke to you and you're running toward it. You're here on purpose. No matter how you came, all of us have such a unique story. But we get to together participate in the line of inheritance through honor through the storyline of Charles and Anne. It's profound. As we, we came back two years ago, of course, there are things in my life I want to I see and we're asking and we're, we're seeking, but we're, we are held together in the joy of honoring the legacy that happened before us. Thank you, Lord. Lest I find myself isolated and alone trying to figure out, maybe like when God spoke to Abraham, it's in you, it's in you, it's in you, 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 you. It's not you, you, it's much greater than you. We just get to participate in whatever measure it is when we align ourselves rightly in all of your family. You're not alone. You're not isolated. You're here by divine purpose in God's heart. Thank you, Lord. Their story becomes our story. I want to feel the oil that they felt when they came with the $2 offering to put back to for good karma. I want to feel that moment. I want to walk in the inheritance of that seeking. Come on. So Jacob is running away from his brother, but God in his mercy encounters him at night. Because in this natural waking circumstance, there's no way that he can even break through to Jacob. He's consumed by fear. So when he sleeps, literally, 
laying down. Now he's engaging with the very land that God spoke to Abraham about. Thank you, Lord. And he speaks. He says, the land that you're laying on, I will give to you. Thank you, Lord. And angels on this ladder, as God speaks this promise, they're angels ascending and descending on this ladder. And then when he realizes, and he says, surely God was in this place, and I did not know it. You know why he didn't know it? Because he was consumed by the situations and circumstances in his life that were actually threatening to kill him. No matter what you are battling, maybe physical ailment and sickness or anything in your life, especially if you feel that God is not involved, I want to encourage you today. May your story have the same account. Surely God is here, and I did not know it. Thank you, Lord. God, I thank you for Nellie. God, I thank you for divine healing. Nellie, another altar. Every day on Facebook, I see Facebook posts that she's declaring faithfully that God is her sovereign healer. Thank you, Lord. I could highlight possibly all of your lives in this way. We all have those moments. Thank you, Lord. We could be running to Egypt, running away from Egypt, running away from our brother, running from to does not matter. We are now aligned to the greater purposes of God that is at work in our lives. That we would have moments and say, wow, I didn't know that God was there. Are there moments in your life that you feel that God is not there? Is there a situation or circumstance that you know you need God, but you know that God is not there? Raise your hand if you have a circumstance like that. You're contending for that you haven't seen the fulfillment of. Yeah. I want to encourage you. God is fully involved in your process. Fully involved and engaged in your life. We were singing earlier. What's the song? Even, even when we don't see it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. You see, we know of the mighty right hand of God that can save us. Scriptures are full of the right hand, the, right, the saving right hand of the powerful, mighty right hand of God. But he's not a one-handed God. He has two full, full-length hands. And guess what? He's not right-handed. And he's not left-handed either. And he's not ambidextrous either. You know, some people are ambidextrous. They can throw with their right hand, but right with their left hand. He is equally strong in his right hand as he is in his left hand. But we don't hear about the left hand of God. You know why? Because the right hand is a mighty hand that saves us, that redeems us, that shows us his salvation. The left hand is a hand that is secretly working on our behalf. Even when we don't see it, when we don't feel it, when we don't know how, he is working on our behalf things that we haven't comprehended, seen, or heard on our behalf. This is a miracle. This is how miracles happen for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, when you do magic tricks, the moment that you perform the actual trick is the moment you have to distract them. There's usually one or two moves in any magic. I, I've watched some video. I may have watched some videos. <laughs> and another time I used to do some tricks. But the moment that each, each, each trick maybe has one or two critical moves that you have to get right. And the rest of it is just storytelling. And when you do that move, you have to distract them with something. 
so that you can do that quickly without them noticing it. And it just happens in a flash. His left hand is like that. His right hand sometimes seems like he's distracted. He's just messing with our hair, your hair, not mine. Messing with your hair. <laughs> showing us something amazing. Maybe we're asking for him and you know that God is there, but you can't see it because he's working on our behalf. Thank you, Lord. Surely God is in this place and I did not know it. And he gets up after this encounter and what was an inanimate stone, he, he puts it upright and he pours oil over it and he says, this is my altar unto the Lord because he encountered me again. See, he's revisiting and reviving the way of the generational blessing that came from Abraham, Isaac, and now to Jacob. Thank you, Lord. What are those areas in our lives maybe that seem dead, that may have no life? Perhaps it's an altar that we need to pour and recognize the work of God in our midst, in your life at that specific time. Thank you, Lord. And in this account, and, we'll, uh, and I'll end with this, in this account of, of Jacob hearing God and, and having a visitation in his dream, up and down the ladder, it says angels were ascending and descending. And we could think perhaps the story, the, the, you know, angels ascending and descending can be just supernatural activity. But if you read the story, he's running away from Esau. And right after this encounter that he has in his dream with the angels and the word of God, the next scene is that he meets Rachel. And then his story begins to unfold with Leah and the tribes that, that follow, the 12 tribes of Israel, come in the very next scene. You don't hear about the struggle with Esau right after that. So this encounter changed the, the, the scenery the landscape of the story of Jacob, because he, he encountered the Lord and he recognized surely God is in this place. He recognized God in something where he didn't see God. And that changed the course, changed the storytelling. And he was running away from something to save his life. Now he's hitting destiny full on as he moves into the next chapter in our, in our storytelling. Thank you, Lord. Wow. These angels that ascend during these times of encounter, carry with them the story of your life thus far. They're, perhaps they're going up to heaven carrying the story of Joshua. Perhaps carrying the story of Ben and Marcy. Perhaps carrying the story of Katie. They're going up to heaven and telling, boasting about your faithfulness in God to God. They have been faithful. I, was, I walk with them in that secret place when nothing was going on. They trusted you. And they're taking your testimony to heaven. And as that's happening, new angels are coming down. Your angels, Nellie, is in, in before the throne of God talking about your faithfulness. Woo! We ask. And then there's new angels that's assigned now because they ascend and then they descend. New angels that are assigned to us for the next season. The angels that brought us this far perhaps can take you to what is ahead. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Perhaps they go up to heaven and build an altar. Oh, this is Nellie's altar unto the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. And he says, 
I'm sending new angels to fulfill my healing in her life. I'm sending new angels to fulfill the dreams that you've been carrying faithfully. I'm sending new angels for a new season for your life, for you and your descendants and your children to walk in the ways of God, regardless of the circumstance. Because when the new angels come, the new angels don't know that Esau is following you. They say, let's get ready. We're going somewhere else. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. So stand to your feet. God, we thank you for this new season. Everybody say new season. I'm speaking prophetically to our church, but we are part of the inheritance. We can't speak into a, into a general atmosphere, corporate atmosphere, without it having natural places for it to function and be revealed. So we become the revelators. We become those that reveal corporately what God is speaking. So as I speak new season corporately, I'm calling every family into the revelation of this new season in your life. It's a drastic change. It's not a gradient over. It's a a dramatic shift in what God, how how you have experienced. Dramatic shift. It's an embarrassing shift. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Receive this faith right now in this room. There's faith to enter in together. Faith to enter in together. Thank you, Lord. The story goes on all the way now to this, the 12 sons, the 12 tribes. Now, one of the two, Joseph, when he was sold into slavery, the last ge- geography that he saw before he was sold into slavery was Shechem, the same place where God first spoke to Abraham. Thank you, Lord. The same place Jacob encountered the Lord. It's the same geographic region. Because there were altars there of God's faithfulness. And when Joseph is all of old days, now this is third generation. He's in Egypt. He says, when I die, don't bury my bones here in Egypt. Take my bones back to Shechem where the, the word of the Lord stands as a testimony. And it will stand even if my bones are buried under the ground. It will speak of the promises and the goodness of God. When later on Moses leading Israel out of bondage, out of captivity, they take Joseph's bones with them and bury them in Shechem. Come on. Come on. Thank you, Lord. So God, I thank you for every family here. I thank you for Abby. Davida, I thank you for your call on her life in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for new angels at this time. Thank you for Juliet and Hannah. God, I thank you for new angels assigned to you in this time. They will walk with you all the days of your life. Where your story will drastically be different from this moment on. Just lift your hands up to the Lord and receive it. All of you can receive this. Thank you, Lord. A dramatic shift in your storytelling, a dramatic shift in your history. Thank you, Lord. 